Good. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter. We are going to continue our series here in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm starting to learn a few things. If you noticed as I walked up here, I locked the fan directly in my direction. And you might think, well, apparently he has some wisdom, except that I'm wearing long sleeve shirt today. Uh, somebody caught me as I walked up here. Oh, what a brave man you are. No, no, I'm just a foolish man. Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't quite check this morning what the weather was going to be like. Uh, in any case, thankful this, this afternoon to, to be with you, uh, to look into First Peter with you. As I consider uh, the question we just considered, is he worthy? I love singing that song. He is worthy. He is worthy of all this. Why is he worthy of all this? Part of the answer to that question resides in the text that we're reading today. So look with me, if you would, in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to deal with verses 3 to 5 this afternoon. Here's what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity to gather together to consider your holy scriptures. These are your words, not mine. And I pray as they're received by your people, that your spirit would be at work confirming your word, changing us. Even as it was prayed this, this afternoon, that your word would be effective to the continual transformation of our souls, so that this might even be a turning point in some of our lives. Oh, Father, thank you that you sent your Son, the one who was worthy to open the scroll. Thank you that you promised us, him from the foundation of the world, that he would resolve our problems and that he would give to us a new birth that we might enjoy eternal life with you. And so help us as we consider that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll notice I've labeled the title of the sermon this afternoon, is election worth it? You know, in a lot of avenues and areas of life, we have to ask the question, is what I'm about to do worth it? Maybe you're driving and you say, I really need to get somewhere, but is it worth going a couple of miles over the speed limit with the risk that I might get caught, or is it worth it not to do that? Lots of decisions in life come down to the question, is it worth it? And I'm convinced that Peter here is addressing that very question as he deals with these people. If you recall, the readers of 1 Peter are people who are going through great tribulation and trial. They've embraced Christ, but that is not a choice that was without result for them. That costs them dearly. It costs them fiscal relationships. It cost them family relationships. This was painful for them. And yet they believed what the scripture said. They believed what 
the, the apostles and, and the, the prophets indicated about the coming life. And so they believed. And they said it was worth it. Here I think what Peter is doing with his audience is saying this. I know that you are walking through the fire. You are proverbially right now going through the torrent of the flood. And one question you might be asking yourself is this. Is this even worth it? And let me particularize it to your life. Have you ever been there? In your Christian walk, have you ever sat there and thought, do I keep doing this? Is this worth it? And Peter's answer to us is it is worth it. So let's take a look at how Peter answers that question. He indicates to us that it is in fact something worth enduring the trials and tribulations. If you remember the last time we were together uh, talking about this, we talked about the fact that Peter addresses us and gives us an identity. We are, at one and the same time, we are elect and exiles. Elect is a very positive term. It refers to being chosen. And for most things, when we're chosen, it's a glorious thing. And yet, this election, this choice by the Father in eternity to choose us to salvation leads to difficulty in this life because when He chooses us, He makes us different. And that differentness, that differential between us and the world leads to tension, to friction. And people don't like that. And so they would rather that not be the case. And so that often, particularly for Peter's audience, led to persecution in their situation. And so Peter has to address this question for them. Is it worth following Christ if this is what's going to happen? And again, maybe you're in a scenario of life and you're asking the same question. Peter answers it this way, it is worth it. Why is it worth it? And I would suggest that his first answer is given in verse 3. Election is worth the exile. Election is worth the difficulty that's going to come to those who are in Christ because through that election we receive something that the scripture calls a new birth. Now, if you've been around Christianity for a while, maybe that language is quite common to you. But for most people, this isn't very common. What exactly does it mean that we've received new birth? This is what Peter talks about in verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what he does at the beginning of this letter. Because he says, here's who I am, I'm Peter. Here's who you are, you're elect exiles. Now let's get into the letter. The first thing he says, God be praised. Why? Because, here is what he says, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. When you hear the term new birth, what passage of scripture comes immediately to mind? Most likely, it's John chapter 3. Do you remember Jesus is talking to a rich uh, uh, Jewish person who is highly positioned within Judaism, within the religion of that time. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, I know you're a good man. And we can see you're doing evident good things, both by means of just your teaching, but also by the miracles that you're doing. Jesus, tell me more. 
And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you do know this, do you not? That unless a man is born again, unless a man experiences, a man or woman experiences the new birth, they will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that language of new birth rises some tension, some confusion in the mind of Nicodemus. And so he asks uh, the rather odd and, and weird question, what do you mean I must be born again? Can I enter into my mother's womb again and be born? I think the answer was obvious immediately. And Jesus says, no. There is a physical birth. And of course, all that are living have experienced that physical birth, but there is another type of birth. There's a spiritual birth. And only those who experience the spiritual birth will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what exactly does this spiritual birth entail? Well, the spiritual birth is the work of the Holy Spirit within the heart. And I think that the idea that it's a new birth entails a couple of things. First, it entails that it's the work of another. Every one of us are here and, and because we were born at some point. How many of you could say, I was born because I chose to be born? Uh, the obvious answer to that is none of us. Uh, we came into this world oblivious to all of life. We were born and we grew up and then we began to understand some things. We didn't choose to be born. Scripture indeed indicates uh, in John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, that is receive Jesus, who believed in him, in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. The right to be called the children of God because they're born into a new family who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He mentions three things here. They're born not of these three things, not of blood, and, and I think all he's simply saying there is, it isn't just because of the natural process that leads to birth. It's not of the will of the flesh nor the will of man. I think both of those are indicating it's not the parent's decision, ultimately. He says there is a birth that comes about because of God. And this entails for us that if in fact we have come to believe in God, if we've come to experience the new birth, we cannot take credit for it. How many of us can take credit for our own birth? You can't. It's the work of another. It's the work of God. Indeed, this is exactly what he says, because he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he caused us to be born again. He's the cause of our new birth. And so he ought to be praised for it. We'll talk about why that is in just a moment, because there are blessings that accrue to the new birth. He caused us to be born again. Notice then, if you remember the discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus ends that discussion, or he comes later in the discussion to say, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And sometimes if you read that passage in John 3, you're a little bit confused, because what does the wind have to do anything with what's happening here? But if you know this point, it will help you significantly. 
In the Greek Bible, the word for wind is the exact same word for spirit. Wind and spirit are the same word. So when he says the wind blows where it wishes, he's using an analogy. Just a couple of days ago, we had some pretty heavy storms. And I remember reading on my, on my phone, it gave me an alert, and it said, warning, there's going to be high winds. And so I took a look at that, and I said, all right, well, let me just make sure that, that everything's planted outside. I remember a little bit later looking out, out my window, and the, the storm was blowing hard. There wasn't any rain yet, but the storm was, was blowing hard. And I remember mentioning to one of my girls, man, it's storming out there. And she looked down and she said, oh, I don't think it's storming. I said, do you see those trees? And, and the trees are almost blowing over. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, I see that. Can you see the wind? You can't see the wind. Can you see the effect of the wind? You can. And you know, I took a whole meteorology class back in college. And it didn't help me very much to determine exactly why the wind blows where it goes. Um, in fact, I think there's still some mystery about that that a lot of people don't know. But Jesus' point is this. And I think it's a really important one for every one of us to grasp. When we think of the work of God's Spirit, we can't always control it. Do you ever wish you could? Man, do I wish sometimes I could. I spent some time ministering in a, a university context. And as you plead, as you express your heart to people, and they just seem so callous and cold to the truth. And you think, how could I enliven you to this truth? And then there are other times where you proclaim the word, you teach the word, you, you give truth. And then what happens? The wind blows where it wishes. And the spirit works. And there is faith. Here's the point that we derive from this passage then. We have experienced a new birth. If you have experienced the new birth, it is because of the work of another. It is the work of the Holy Spirit of God, and he should take the credit for it. In fact, the second point is that it's based on God's mercy. Look at what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Now, a number of weeks ago, when I first had the opportunity to speak to you, we worked through Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10 where we talked about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then verse 4, that powerful phrase, but God, who's rich in mercy, according to his great love, with the love with which he loved us, he gave us new birth. That's the same idea that Peter's expressing here. That is according to his great mercy, not again because of who we are, but because of who he is. Election is... God's work on our behalf to bless us. I would note another thing about the new birth that I think makes it worth it, and this is particularly important for those who have had to abandon or have lost family because of Christ. One of my friends is a missionary in the Middle East, and every once in a while I'll receive an email from him 
where he details the life of somebody within his congregation who decided to believe in Jesus. And the results of that belief have been the uh, removal of them from their household. Their mother, their father, their brothers, sisters, they've all rejected that person. Because in that context, if you're a Muslim, to abandon Allah, to abandon Islam, is to abandon everything. And he'll talk about these experiences of these believers. But notice what it says here in chapter 1. And Peter's readers were, I think, surely going through that very experience. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is the new birth that grants us a new family. As our family grew from 2 to 3, as our youngest daughter was brought into the family, that new birth resulted in a new member of our family. And this is something that Peter is going to address, and we need to, we need to think about it now, but he's going to address it throughout the rest of the letter. He's going to address God as Father. He's going to address Jesus as our elder brother. He's going to address our brothers and sisters, everyone here, those who believe in Jesus, as our brothers and sisters in Christ. It gives to us a new family. So, is election worth it? Yes, because through it we receive a new birth. Jesus says this about those who would believe in him in Mark chapter 3. He's looking about at those who are around him. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of the Father is my brother and brothers. If you remember the context here, people come to Jesus and say, hey, your mother and brother are outside. They want to meet you. They want to, they want to talk to you. Because they, they maybe think you're going a little crazy right now, Jesus. And Jesus looks at those who believed in the Father and he says, you are my brothers and sisters. Oh, friends, we cannot, we cannot overplay the family role that God gives to us. And again, as we work through 1 Peter, we're going to see many implications of that. It gives to us a whole new family in Christ. But this new birth actually leads to three distinct blessings. In fact, it's to a living hope, verse 3, verse 4, to a secure inheritance, and then verse 5, to a final deliverance. Now, I've got the, the whole passage here up on the screen, and I've underlined and bolded the three words that are the exact same word, just translated differently. And the reason I want you to see this is because Peter is telling us that the new birth leads to three blessings in life. You'll notice he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he called us, or he caused us to be born again. Two, first, a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Second, two, an inheritance. That is un imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith... For, same preposition, same, same word there, you might translate it this way, to a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's what Peter's saying to you. Election is worth it. 
Because it gives you the new birth. And the new birth gives you three blessings that are beyond imagination. What are those three blessings? Well, let's work through them one by one. The first, election is worth it because we receive the new birth. And the new birth gives us a living hope. What exactly does it mean that we have a living hope? I think actually you could emphasize this in two different ways. The first is that we have a hope that is alive. A hope that is alive. One of the favorite themes that we sing about in in our church is the theme of resurrection. That Jesus rose from the dead. And so our hope is alive. Jesus is our living hope. And he lives. Do you see? It's a hope that is alive. And so... It refers to the resurrection of Jesus. Indeed, that's exactly what Peter goes on to say. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But I actually think there's something deeper that Peter's saying here. It's not merely that we have this hope that is living, but rather a hope that we will live. A hope that we will live. It's a hope about the fact that there is hope. We live in a world today that so often is hopeless. Have you ever looked in the eyes of somebody who has no hope? I don't mean here somebody who, you know, maybe you're playing chess against them (laughs) and they have no hope. Uh, not, Not that sort of a thing. But the sort of thing where you're talking to somebody And the depression is alive and deep within their hearts. And you ask them, what what, what do you live for? What, 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 What encourages you? What gets you going? And they say, nothing. Nothing does. There's nothing to live for. Thankfully, in God's good providence and God's good kindness... He prevents this in the lives of most people. But to be honest, if you consider the hope of most people in our world, it is a dead hope. What do they hope for? They hope for retirement. They hope to hit a certain number so that once they get to that certain number, they can finally retire and they can walk off the job site and they don't have to work another day in their lives. And they get to that point, and guess what they find when they get there? Is it all that they had hoped? It's an empty hope. They, they long for this family situation that they have in this world, and then someone in the family dies. You can enumerate any of the hopes of this life, and I can assure you that every one of them will fall short. You cannot rest in this world with your hopes. Your hopes will be dashed to pieces if your hope resides in this world. You see, because you were born for something greater than this world. And if your heart is set on this world, my friend, you will be disappointed. Your hope is not a living hope. It is a dead hope. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't have goals and aspirations. I think that those things are good. But that our ultimate hope should reside somewhere else. It should reside 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. It should reside in the one who has defeated death. What is the hope provided here? Since Jesus rose from the dead, since God raised Jesus from the dead, guess what he promised to you? That he would raise you from the dead. Indeed, if you see here what the text tells us, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And it tells us here in Hebrews chapter 12, since the children of flesh have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Could I read that again? Since the children have flesh and blood, that is since humanity has flesh and blood, he too shared, that is Jesus, in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Do you know what the living hope frees us from? It frees us from the fear of death. Have you been to the bedside of a dying Christian? And seeing the joy and expectation on their face? Have you seen the hope that you can't explain on a physical, physical sphere? You, you can't explain it to somebody who doesn't have it. That you come to a funeral of a believer, one who has trusted in Christ and lived faithfully to him. And there's a celebration, and it's not just some jovial, surface-level, let's try and forget that death is coming for all of us. It is a deep, residing recognition that the pains of this world are gone. That this person is no longer chained and shackled in a sinful world, but is instead in the very presence of the one whom he or she loved. There is a hope there. And there's a hope that we have. This is what, this is, re remember when Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and he says, we do not grieve like others. By the way, he doesn't say we don't grieve. He says we don't grieve like others who have no hope. Oh friend, we have hope. We have hope of, we have a living hope because the one who died, Jesus, when he died, he rose from the dead. He defied death. And this is what he told us, all who believe in me. Though they may die, they will never die. And we praise the Lord for that. Election is worth it because through it, we have a living hope. But election is also worth it because through the new birth, we've received a secure Inheritance, this is what he tells us in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, you know the word inheritance. Inheritance is a word that we use to refer to the fact that sometimes when parents pass away, whatever they have remaining, they hand down to their children. That is their inheritance. Something that's given to them, that is their possession that they can then go on and, and do what they might with. Inheritance is family language. You only have an inheritance if you're in a family. 
And here's what the passage is then telling us. Is election worth it? Yes. Because when you enter God's family, he sets aside an inheritance for you. You have something waiting for you on the other side. There is an inheritance. And then he describes this inheritance because it's not just an inheritance. It is a secure inheritance that comes from the new birth within our new family. And it's an inheritance that I describe by three words. In fact, uh, the ESV puts it this way, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, in the original language, they, all these start with A's, or alphas, actually. And, and I thought, man, if I could make all these start with the same letter. And so I substituted imperishable with unperishable. And you say, you can't do that. Well, I looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary. That word used to be alive in the English language back in 1700-something. So I feel justified. In any case, here's what the text tells us. When you come to Christ, when he gives you new birth... He gives you a secure inheritance and an inheritance that is unperishable. Unperishable. Do you know what is true of nearly anything you might have in this world? It's going to perish. It's going to fall apart. You receive that new thing and it's glorious and it's wonderful and it's what you've always expected and then what happens? it immediately begins to fall apart. And there's always something better. And it slows down. It's a new piece of technology. It's the iPhone 42, or whatever the new one is. And the day you get it, they announce the 43, right? I mean, that's about how it works. But it begins to break down. Nothing in this world lasts. Wouldn't it be a glorious thing if we had some promise of something in a world to come that doesn't actually perish? Oh, but this is exactly what Scripture tells us. It is undefiled. It is untainted. The word for defiled here means stained by something. It refers to ceremonial uncleanness, that sin has affected something. And in fact, we know that everything in this world has been tainted by sin. The world has fallen in every way. This is why in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, the whole creation groans waiting for the redemption that will come, which is actually the destruction of this world and the creation of the new one. Everything here is defiled. But there's a world to come with an inheritance that is undefiled and is promised to those who trust in Christ. It's imperishable. It's unperishable, undefiled, and it's unfading. Peter's actually using a word here to refer to amaranth flower. It's a type of flower in the ancient world that they would use that... Though it did fade, it took decades and decades to fade. Most of the colors would, of, of their time would fade rather quickly, but this amaranth flower, it lasted for a long time. And the point here is that your inheritance will never fade. It'll never go away. Nothing in this world or very few things in this world last for a hundred years. But in the world to come, the one we are destined to share with Christ, things will last forever and ever. And this is our inheritance. Do you see, 
Election is worth it not only because we receive the new birth, but with the new birth, we receive incredible blessings. We receive, first of all, a living hope. Second of all, a secure inheritance. Indeed, one more mention here, and I can't remember. Yes, the secure inheritance. Notice he says, it is reserved in heaven for you. It's got your name on it. It's yours reserved, set aside for you. And I know we, we, we sometimes hesitate to personalize this, but that's exactly what Peter is trying to tell you. You, you believer. Christ knows what is yours, and he has set it aside. He's put your name on it, and it is yours. It is your inheritance that he will give to you. Now, of course, you might be asking, what exactly does this entail? I don't know all that it entails. I really don't. But I do know it'll be worth it all. So, election's worth it because we receive the new birth. Through the new birth, we receive a living hope. We receive a secure inheritance. But we also receive a third thing, and that is final deliverance. Through the new birth, we receive final deliverance. What exactly does it mean that we receive final deliverance? You can see this in verse 5. So it says, the inheritance is reserved for you, but then Peter makes this play on words. He says, yeah, the inheritance is reserved for you, and you are reserved for it. In other words, God's going to keep your inheritance, but he's also going to keep you. Notice what he says in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice he says this, shielded by God's power, through faith, for salvation. Now let me ask you, is that God's work or our work? Don't you love these trick questions? And maybe somebody yelled, yes, right? Because notice in the orange there, if you can see that, we are shielded by God's power. How do I know that I will make it safely to the eternal state? Because God has promised to keep me. It is God's power. He keeps his own. Do you remember in, John, in the Gospel of John, he says, My Father and me both hold you in our hand. And none of those who are ours will we ever let escape. He is the sheep. He, he is the shepherd who does not lose his sheep. We are shielded by God's power, but you notice how he does it? He does it through faith. Through faith. And you say, well, that sounds a lot like what I'm supposed to do. And the answer is yes. In fact, uh, the... The scriptures call us to have faith, to exercise faith, to believe. And you say, I don't know how to reconcile those two. And I say, well, I'm not sure I can fully reconcile them either, but I can say this. Paul elsewhere tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you say, boy, that sounds like that's all on me. Everything's on me. I got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. But then notice the next line. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if you have faith, 
Why do you have faith? Because God worked in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so how does God keep us? By the work of his spirit in our hearts to motivate continual faith throughout the ages. And yes, we must respond to that in a positive way. We must continue to say yes, not that he ever loses his own. It is that mix of God's sovereignty, human responsibility. But God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never let us go, those who have trusted in Christ. And so, he's given to us a promise that those who've entered into his family, he will never let go. We have a secure Final deliverance. Indeed, he says this deliverance is ready to be revealed. And we say, all right, come on, come on. It's ready to be revealed at any moment. It could be revealed, this final deliverance. Ready to be revealed at the last time. (laughs) And when exactly is the last time? If I told you, you shouldn't invite me again. All right, because I don't know, and nobody knows. This is the whole thing that Jesus says, right? It's ready to be revealed at the last time, and so we await it with hope and anticipation. So let's address the main issue that Peter addressed. Is election worth the exile? Remember, I've tried to draw this distinction that, that Peter's drawing. You are an elect exile. You are chosen, but that chosenness leads to estrangement from this world. Difficulty and challenge. Is the difficulty and challenge that you're going to face following Christ, is it worth it? And Peter begins his letter by saying, it is so totally worth it. Here's why. Because you are given a new birth. And do you know what you get with that new birth? You get a new family. You get a living hope. You get a secure inheritance. And you get a final deliverance. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb. Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, say to Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But if you know the story, you know that Jesus actually delayed his coming so that Lazarus would die. And the disciples didn't quite understand it. They didn't know why he didn't go right away. But he comes there and Jesus says to Martha, your your brother will be raised. And she says, I know, Jesus, that he's going to be raised in the last day. And Jesus says something even more incredible. This is what he says to her. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Saints, do you believe this? If you do, if you do, then you know that you have a living hope you have, a lot, you have a hope that goes beyond death. And when the difficulties and challenges come in life, and when you have to give up things that you would rather not give up, you can always remember, I have a living hope, and even if I die in this circumstance, I will not die. 
there is life awaiting me. And even if I give up everything in this life, I know that Jesus has promised that I have an inheritance waiting in the heavenly places, and it is an unfading, imperishable, undefiled inheritance. And I can't wait, I, I can't wait for it. And I know that despite the difficulty that I'm facing today, he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And though I feel my feet will fall, <laughs> I don't trust myself. I sometimes think my faith is far too weak. I trust in a God who said, you're mine. And I will, by my power, encourage your faith until the final day. Because it's this same one who said, even those who die will live. And those who believe in me will never truly die. Father, I thank you for the truth of these words. Your son, the Lord Jesus, came to tell us truth. And we marvel in them. Oh Lord, you have given to us so much. In Christ, you've given to us a new birth. You've, you've brought us into the family. You've given us an inheritance, a hope that will never end. You've given to us a security in our future deliverance. And all of this for the sake of your name. I pray today as we sit in this auditorium. I don't know the state of every heart that sits before me. And there may be some who sit here with anxiety, with deep concern because they know that they do not have a living hope today. That if today they died, they, the words that your scripture talked about, that those who believe in your son Though they die, they will never truly die. That may not be true of them. I pray, Father, that they would seek you first. That they might seek one of us who've been up on this platform to seek out exactly how they might have the living hope and never again fear death. And Father, for those believers who are here who sit in, the, in, in, our, in this midst, I pray for those who are going through deep trials, that they would, in the midst of such trials, remember all of the blessings that you have promised to them. That despite these difficulties, you, Father, are good and have given to us far more than you have ever taken away from us. And so we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.